Welcome to our Holden Village podcast. For over 50 years now, Holden Village has traveled a rich history of faith that has transformed a copper mining town into a vibrant place of education, programming, and worship. Holden has sought to welcome all who seek contemplation and community in the remote wilderness of the beautiful Cascade Mountains. We continue to invite people of all ages to come alongside our rhythms, which inspire and equip travelers for a sustainable life of faith outside the village. And we continue to listen and reflect on our story and history and seek to discover our place in God's creative mission in our world. Our podcasts are a way of sharing our conversations with our teaching faculty around reformation, the reforming of our relationships with the earth with each other, and with a divine. Let's tune in and join the conversation. Hello, my name is Mark Gravrock. I'm from Kalispell, Montana. Our Bible study this week has focused on just wait a minute and some of our gut reactions to some things in Scripture. The subtitle is Reading Scripture with a Partnering God. I'm becoming more and more convinced that while some of our wait-a-minute reactions are our own confusion, others of them really are intended, and God is expecting us to react and respond so that God can then partner with us and walk us to a new place. We began, for example, with the flood story, how in the in the story of the flood itself, we have a pretty awful picture going on, and at the end of that picture, God says, well, the human heart hasn't changed. Basically, the flood didn't work. I'm never going to do this again. At which point, if we're honest with ourselves, our guts want to say, well, God, if it didn't work, why did you do it? Or didn't you know in advance that it wouldn't work? Why did you have to do this to figure it out? And God is in that. I'm convinced God is in that reaction and that God is leading us to that response so that we're ready for Genesis 9 when God begins a much different kind of gracious, painful, and loving response. Well, that's all I'm going to give you about that one, so you have to wonder about the rest of that story. But we spent much of the week drawing trajectories and pathways through Scripture about where God is leading us, where the Bible is going. What I want to do with this little podcast is to is to look at one gospel story from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 13. As a prelude to that, there is a passage in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, chapter 7, where Jesus talks about, about the narrow gate and the broad gate. He says, it seems pretty straightforward. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. That seems pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. Many don't get it, few get it. Well, part of what I'm wanting to do in this is I'm convinced that we human beings wear, wear judgment spectacles, judgment glasses, judgment lenses. We look at the world in a, in a, in a way framed by judgment and how we measure up and do we measure up and do we make the grade or don't we make the grade? And do those people make the grade or don't they make the grade? Who's in? Who's out? What does it take? What are the criteria? I'd like to lead you into Luke's version of that same passage, and it's very different. 
one more one more preface. In Kalispell, Montana, where I live, all right on the main highway, there is one church with a huge billboard on its front wall facing the street. And that billboard says, Jesus says, Unless ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And you can't miss it as you're driving by. That's the preface. Luke 13, verse 22. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? Stop there. It's a straightforward question. Will only a few be saved? Is that a question you're likely to ask? Who is likely to ask a question like that? If you're worried about your salvation, you might be asking, Lord, what does it take for me to be saved, or something like that. But if you ask, Lord, will those who are saved be few, what are you assuming about yourself? It seems to me that it's the people who think they're in that would ask a question like that. Lord, I'm in. How about those other folks? Is it just going to be a few of us? Lord, will will those who are saved be few? Here's Jesus' response. He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Wait a minute. What kind of an answer is that? Well, the question was, are the saved few? And the answer sounds like maybe, because a lot of of people won't be able to get through that narrow door, whatever that narrow door is, but he didn't really answer the question. Instead, he turned the question back on the person asking it and said, you better try to get through that narrow door, which implies what? It implies that the questioner is not in, but out. That's rather sneaky. He goes on, when once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door, and you, always be concerned when Jesus says you, it's a deadly word, and you begin to stand outside and pound on the door saying, Lord, open to us, and in reply he'll say to you, I don't know where you come from. And you begin to say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets, but you say, but he'll say, I don't know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. And then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrown out. So here's somebody coming asking an innocent question, Lord, will the saved be few? And Jesus answers, well, you're not one of them. You'll be outside pounding on the door. The party's going on inside with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets, but not you. You're stuck outside. Now, to add to that, if you were reading this in Greek, you would discover that the you is y'all. It's plural. So Jesus is not just aiming it at the one questioner. He's aiming at at a whole group of people who are making the assumption that they're on the inside and wondering if they're the only ones. And Jesus says, nope, you guys are on the outside. How do you react to a story like that? We ought to be saying, now wait a minute, Lord. What's going on? What's wrong with these folks who who think they think they're on the inside and Jesus says, No, you're on the outside? And are you saying the same thing to me? Am I one of those? What do we do with this? And are the saved few or are the saved many? Well, it's not done yet. Jesus has one more thing to add. 
Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some who are some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Are the saved many, or are they few? People pouring in from every direction of the compass, from north, south, east, and west. This sounds like a whole mob of people coming in, eating and drinking in the kingdom of God. Some who used to be last and now are first, and some who used to be first and now are last. What's the answer to the question? Are the saved many, or are they few? And Jesus says, What business of that is yours? All kinds of folks are flocking on into the kingdom, and they are all welcome. And the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus doesn't teach in any kind of straightforward way. We set the agenda of what we think the question is, and we think we're on the inside, and we're trying to figure out all the rules and regulations, and Jesus is saying, you got it all wrong. You haven't even seen what the kingdom's about, and you won't until you taste that banquet. In fact, as you watch Jesus throughout the Gospels, the ones that he judges, the ones that he comes down on, are the ones who think they're in and judge others as out, over and over and over again. It's rather delightful, I have to say. Unsettling, but delightful. Let's back up to the beginning of the chapter. Chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus has been talking about judgment and division and things like that. And so 13 starts out, At that very time there were present some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Somehow Jesus' conversation about judgment and decision and things like that has triggered their thinking, and they remember a recent incident, incident where Governor Pilate had butchered a bunch of people. It was a travesty. But they're making an assumption. They're thinking about, they're wearing the judgment spectacles, and they're thinking, well, you reap what you sow. They must have deserved it. That's what Jesus fingers next. He says, verse 2, Are you thinking that because these Galileans suffered in this way, that they deserved it, that they were worse than all other Galileans? He says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish as they did. That's the billboard out in front of that church. And he adds another one, a recent tragedy in town. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all others living in Jerusalem? Do you think they deserve what they got? No, I tell you. Unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. Do you hear how he's leveling us all? How he's putting us all in the same boat? how he's wiping out any possibility of our measuring one another and measuring ourselves and saying, well, they deserve to be out and I deserve to be in, or they deserve this and I deserve that. He says, no, you're all in the same boat. And then if you really want to see Jesus' heart, what verse comes next? Chapter 13, verse 6. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find nothing. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replies, Sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. And if it bears fruit next year, all right. If not, you can cut it down if you want to. Jesus is the gardener. 
digging around us, putting on manure, nourishing us, nurturing us, in the hopes that we will flourish and bear fruit and grow and thrive. He's not wearing the glasses that we wear. And the irony of that billboard on the church in Kalispell is that the very words that they've posted on the church to announce to the world that unless we repent we will perish likewise, they're actually words that Jesus directed against the church, against the religious people who think they're in. And they don't realize that that sign is Jesus' word back at them. Which, of course, means that when also when I judge that church for putting up that billboard, that word is also Jesus' word directed back at me for putting them in the judgment box. <laughs> and around it goes. Watch Jesus. Listen to him. Watch him not answer our questions. Watch him turn them upside down. Watch him change the topic. Turn it topsy-turvy. Watch him ease off our judgment glasses and usher us into a banquet where people come from north and south and east and west if we want it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another Holden Village podcast. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.